Welcome to the Epidemic Belfast podcast. I'm Eugenie Scott, a researcher on this project and a PhD candidate at Ulster University. Epidemic Belfast is a public history and medical humanities initiative from Ulster University. It aims to map changing experience of infection and disease for individuals and communities in a unique urban environment, Belfast from the 19th century up to the present day. On today's podcast, I'm interviewing Shana Walsh, who's a Sinn Féin Belfast City Councillor and former Republican prisoner who spent many years in Long Cash Prison. We're going to be talking a bit about the medical care available to prisoners at that time. So welcome, Shana. Thanks for joining us today to talk about this really interesting topic. Hello, and Goramagad uh, and Sean Slurchlev. Thank you very much, Eugenie. Very welcome. Uh, could I start off by asking um, what were relations like between the prison medical staff and the um, prisoners? Okay, well, I suppose for me, um, it, it would be necessary for me to start off by explaining that I was a Republican prisoner uh, at three separate sort of phases of the uh, prison struggle. And the first one would have been with political status. When, when we had political status after a hunger strike in 1972, the uh, the British government introduced what they called special category status. And we were held in the what we called the cages in Long Cash, which was very much like a prisoner of war camp. And the conditions um, in the, the uh, cages were fairly primitive. And the level of medical supervision would have been um, not particularly good either. Um, you know, <laughs> Every time someone would make an approach to the doctor, you know, or that, that there was some sort of a medical issue, it was always viewed as with, with suspicion, you know, that, that there was always some sort of... Uh, uh, agenda? Some sort of a hidden agenda behind the reason why you're coming out to see the doctor or uh, that you have to go out to the hospital on the outside. And they were... You know, the, the security was paramount in everything and, and, and how they viewed the whole um, medical treatment. And, and in general, you know, the, the, we viewed the medical staff, uh, both the, you know, the, the medical, uh, the, the prison medical staff, and then the, the actual doctors, the, the, you know, the, the trained doctors who, who came into the jail. Um, as far as we were concerned, and that they were um, part of the system. But having said that, there was no antagonism towards the medical staff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And whenever they took away political status in March 1976, I was, in, uh, I was released and then I, I was recaptured uh, on active service um, towards the end of 1976. And I ended up in the hate blocks um, from on the blanket protest until the the end of the hunger strikes in 1981, and that was a totally different experience because the uh, if if the first period of or the first experience with the medical staff in the cages can be said to have been one of um, indifference, shall we say, um, the way that the medical staff treated us in the main uh, during the protest years was um, totally uh, against 
what I would regard as as the medical oath that they had taken to safeguard the health and well-being of of, of prisoners or, mm-hmm. or any sort of patients. Um, they were part and parcel of the system of brutality, which was aimed to break the prisoners. So at times they would have witnessed uh, events like, um, you know, prisoners being being attacked and beaten. These guys, when we, and the main, we were all fairly young. I, whenever I went into the hits blocks, I was one of the older ones at that time. And yet I, I went in at 20 years of age. So where you had very young prisoners, um, you had this um, vulnerability, I would suppose, and the, the, they were preyed on by these, um, I have to say, bigoted uh, warders. And the, in the main, the medical staff didn't do anything to, um, to alleviate that or to try and intervene. So they would have been fully aware, like they would have yes. been aware and didn't well, do anything? Well, one of the things that used to happen was that whenever you, whenever you would get beaten during a, a wing shift or a cell search, they used to make a used to make a, a come out to see the medical officer, the MO, and and the the MO, unlike a doctor, was simply a, a member of the prison service who had taken a six week course. And how they administer tablets or whatever, and and then they gave him a white coat. So it was just a a, a prison warder wearing a white yeah. coat. That's that's the way we regarded these these uh, medical officers, MOs. Um, and the, the the thing about the MOs was that um, they used to they, 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 whenever they used to brutalize you and beat you up, they used to bring bring you out to see the uh, MOs. And they would fill in a body sheet, okay? Like it, it would have on it a, a drawing of a body back and front, and then they would fill in bruising con- contusions to the back of the head, or you know, bruising on the arm, or black eye, or whatever. Um, and they would fill all this in, but then nothing would ever be done about it. And 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 cases, um, if if you were brought out. And, f- and the form was filled in with, with your injuries. And then the, the, the medical orderly would say, right, what happened to you? They say, well, I was attacked by three or four prison warders. Mm-hmm. Um, you were likely to be beaten up again on your return to the cell. And it was all about deterring people from telling what had happened. And if the case had have ended up, if, if, if you had been charged with assault, and because you were beaten up, um, which is an old tactic, what you know, what used to happen invariably was that um, you would be brought in front of a governor. The prison warders would give their story, and the governor would believe them. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even if even if you were you were beaten up by five or six prison warders, fully clothed with boots and battens, okay, they they would say. Um, this naked man attacked me or, or attacked one of my officers and, yeah. and we had to restrain him. And, and it, was, it was always believed. There was never a case where the governor says, well, listen, folks, I'm, I don't believe what you're saying here. 
-hmm. and we were not allowed any recourse to um, any sort of legal representation. Whenever the protest finished and we were given access to our, our legal representatives, to our solicitors and lawyers and stuff like that, well, we began then, after assaults, we began to ask for legal representatives to be present at the judicial process. And what happened? The beating stopped. The brutality stopped. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, the medical system within the prison was all part and parcel of that uh, campaign to break the will and attempts to break the bodies of, of the um, Republican prisoners who were resisting the mm -hmm. criminalization process. Really interesting, thank you. Um, could I ask, did the prison conditions worsen physical and mental health? Well, all I can say is that the, the no wash protest definitely did worsen the, um, the, you know, because you were in a cell and the cell would be the size of an average housing, Belfast housing executive bathroom, okay? Um, that's the size of your cell. You would have two people in it, 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, and we, we were on the no wash protest, so we weren't getting washed. Um, there was no furniture in the cell apart from a mattress on the, on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, you had a couple of blankets to wrap around you. You had a piss pot. You had um, a plastic water gallon for, for fresh water. And that was it. Yeah. And you were locked up 24-7. You didn't get out for exercise. You didn't get out for um, to go to the toilet. You didn't get out to get washed or, or um, any sort of recreation at, at, at all. And all in all, uh, those conditions definitely had a major impact on that whole cohort of, of particularly the younger prisoners. And, and, and in terms of um, the mental health, one of the... I have participated in a, a, a report which looked at the prison conditions of that period and seeks to pursue the, the it'll probably go to a pursuit of the British government because of what, what they oversaw at that period. But in, in evidence, one of the uh, contributors to the report was a psychiatrist. And what he was explaining was that during the course of interviewing former uh, Republican prisoners, and they talked about the brutality, and they talked about the systematic um, brutality and the way that the, the, the prison warders would go from one cell to the other to the other. The psychiatrist was saying that the, the, there was more psychological damage being done having to listen to other prisoners being beaten and you knowing that it would be your turn or it could be your turn and you're, you're listening to people next door um, being brutalized, that that really um, is, is what does the damage, the threat and the fear and, and, and actually listening to other people being beaten and tortured. Is, yeah. is at times worse than the actual um, torture itself. So at, at that, all of that had uh, a, a big impact a lot, uh, upon a lot of the um, Republican prisoners. And, you know, I'm talking here about long case, but similar went on in Armagh, but you would actually have to get the women, yeah. you know, to talk about, about their, 
their experience. Um, and and um, after the hunger strike ended and we began to get out of our sales and we got our own clothes and we got access to the yard and sp- football and books, education and all the rest, um, it obviously led to a massive reduction in, in the tension and the, yeah. the, you know, within the prison. And then the last period of imprisonment that I experienced would have been from 90, sorry, from 88 to 98. And to be honest, the relationship with the prison um, medical service had really changed a lot since then. That you didn't have the same antagonism mm-hmm. that they would have um a simple thing they would have used first name terms and stuff like that yeah. you know that that you, you actually felt that you were being treated as a human being again mm-hmm. um at, at, at that stage but that was very very different from the the earlier periods of of, of imprisonment mm-hmm. In addition to the political situation, did health conditions in prisons contribute much to the decisions made to protest? Um, the, the decisions made in, in the jail um, obviously did govern the nature of the protest, but the political decisions um, in regarding to you know, the withdrawal of political status in 1970, that was the major issue which led to the real standoff and the breakdown in relations between the prison administration and the the prison administration and, and the prisoners. You know, um, you had IRA guys in, in, in jail from 1970 until 1976. And for a big period of that, uh, from 1972, those guys had political status. Um, after 1976, the, after the 1st of March 1976, when the decision was taken to with, withdraw political status and treat everyone as a criminal, the IRA initiated a campaign uh, whereby the prison staff were told that they would be held responsible for the ill treatment of Republican prisoners and for imposing this regime of uh, uh, criminalization. Mm-hmm. And the IRA targeted prison warders and, and uh, killed an, a, a number of them and, and injured a lot more. Um, but as soon as the, you know, whenever the, the protests ended, the IRA stopped doing that. Um, you know, stopped whenever the hunger strike ended and all the rest of it. Um, the, the IRA and the men stopped, um, you know, um, looking for, for prison warders and stuff like that. Um, so all of that, the political circumstances outside, the um, the IRA campaign against the prison warders, all of that led to a very, very, like a, a really um, serious situation within the jails. Um, and once that ended, well, the situation in, in, in the prisons was very, very different um, from those earlier years. Mm-hmm. Um- would you say, um, I suppose this is more focusing on the second period when you were in? Um, the protest period? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were, the prison, were the prison medical staff neutral? Absolutely not. The, uh, the, the, the problem is that 
the you know the prison medical staff were in the main simply prison warders, ordinary prison warders with white coats on. Um, so the the if you're talking about the doctors who would have come in from outside, they would have been they would have been somewhat different because um, they and the main they would have been from a different class. They would have been like middle class. Mm-hmm. But the ordinary sort of working class um, MOs and stuff like that would have been very much part and parcel of that unionist community, you know. And and these are the guys who made up the RUC, the UDR, the prison service. And you know, a lot of them were interchangeable. Mm-hmm. A lot of them went from one to the other. Um, so they were very much part and parcel of the the unity. And that would come out at times like the twelfth. You know, when like the, the warders at times would have had marches when we were locked in our cells, they would have dressed up in sashes and uh, and a drunken state marched up mm-hmm. down the wings and beaten doors, maybe beaten prisoners, um, depending. Um, that's part and parcel of um, what, you, what you had to put up with. Did you have any positive experiences of medical care um, along with negative ones? On a personal basis? Yeah, well, I remember during the hunger strike in 1981, I found myself in a position of some responsibility within the jail with on on the the jail staff, and the I, I had an ingrown toenail, mm-hmm. and they they wanted to take me out to do an operation in the hospital on the outside, and I refused to go. I said, look, I'm I'm not leaving. The, the jail uh, during this period of the hunger strike. And what happened then, um, one of the doctors read my file and he sent for me and he said, look, that's, that's very, curious, very serious. It must be very painful. Um, and I would like to try and deal with it. I says, well, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not, I'm not going up to the hospital. I'm not going out to the hospital. And he said, well, <coughs> if you're prepared to do it, I will do it. I will uh, perform uh, surgery to that with the local anesthetic. And, and so he did. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And he understood that, that where I was coming from. And so, yeah. and, and that for me, that would have been the, the one sort of ex- experience that I, I would have had that you would have called positive. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the doctors were quite different from the, um, was it MOs? Yeah. Would it, would it normally have been a positive experience with the doctors or no, no, no absolutely not. The, the doctors were, as I, as I said earlier on, they were part and parcel of the system, which was to, to um, basically break your resistance. Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, the crazy thing is that, um, you know, there would have been two or three, Doctors who saw what was going on and were uncomfortable with it. There were two or three of the MOs who would have been the same. Um, but and 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 the main the the experience was that you know they were simply there to do a job. Um, yeah. one, one of the things one of the things that would have happened to to, to people was that during the um, the the, the the prison 
system. I, I, I don't know at what level, whether it was the NIO or the, the governors within the jail, decided to shear the prisoners because we were refusing to shave and refusing to have our hairs cut. So they come up with this idea of accusing the prisoners uh, of having lice, right? Mm-hmm. And like at, at times, uh, people would be sheared and bathed, forced baths, and then sheared. But the doctor might have stood uh, six, eight yards away from people and deemed that they had lice. You know, what would mm-hmm. happen would be that um, the, the doctor would walk down the length, walk down the corridor in the middle of the wing. And as he approached each cell, without actually entering the cell to see the prisoner, but as he approached each cell, the prison warders would have opened the doors. He would have looked in. Yes, shower, or sorry, uh, shave him, shave him, shave him. And then they close the door, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that whole sort of thing. Um, they, 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 that's, that's the way they operated. They, they didn't come in even and inspect your hair. Yeah. It was simply an excuse to, um, to shave you and to shear you and to give you a forced bath. And when they would do that, you know, what would they not do? Okay. Um... As well as that, at, at times of um, the prison warders would have accused prisoners of, <clears throat> of secreting items on their body. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what happened then was that the medical staff would be brought in to perform an internal search of um, your, your anus, basically, and with, um, you know, very long sort of medical type pliers mm-hmm. that they would have inserted into your, your, your back passage. And it was usually, you know, the medical staff were there when this was going on. Um, sometimes it was doctors were, were in, in place. Other times they just relied on the MOs to do it. And uh, it was horrendous, horrendous experience for anyone who had the undergo. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. And thank you so much for um, just contributing to this and sharing your story. Thank you for listening to this episode of Epidemic Belfast. For more information and to read articles related to today's episode, as well as other ones in the series, you can visit our website, www.epidemic-belfast.com.